Hey, this is Dave DeCamp from Antiwar.com. This is Antiwar News for Friday, October 13th, 2023. All right, the first story at the top of Antiwar.com today. As long as the U.S. exists, it will support Israel. That is the message that Secretary of State Antony Blinken brought to Israel when he visited on Thursday, and he declared this while in Tel Aviv uh, meeting with Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. Uh, He said, quote, The message that I bring to Israel is this. You may be strong enough on your own to defend yourself, but as long as America exists, you will never, ever have to. We will always be there by your side, end quote. So since Hamas launched an unprecedented attack on southern Israel on October 7th, the U.S. has shipped more military equipment to Israel, deployed an aircraft carrier strike group, and augmented its fighter jets in the region, and Congress is poised to authorize more military aid on top of the $3.8 billion that Israel receives each year. And Blinken was in Israel as the Israeli airstrikes continue to pound Gaza relentlessly. So Blinken said, quote, we're delivering on our word, supplying ammunition, interceptors to replenish Israel's Iron Dome alongside other defense material. The first shipments of U.S. military support have already arrived in Israel and more is on the way. As Israel's defense needs evolve, we will work with Congress to make sure that they're met. And I can tell you there is overwhelmingly, overwhelming bipartisan support in Congress for Israel's security, end quote. So Blinken also said that it's important to take every possible precaution to avoid harming civilians, but he did not mention the hundreds of children who have already been killed in Israel's onslaught on Gaza. So also on Thursday, Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin said the new aid for Israel was unconditional. He said, quote, in terms of conditions that we would place on the security assistance that we're providing to Israel, we have not placed any conditions on the provision of this equipment, end quote. So both officials are making it very clear that the U.S. is giving Israel its full-throated support, you know, regardless of how many people they're killing in Gaza, how many civilians, how many children. You know, the headlines uh, that a lot of news outlets went with today was Blinken warns against civilian casualties. But, uh, you know, besides that one line, it doesn't seem like there's any indication the U.S. is really pressing Israel because Israel has not stopped. They are destroying Gaza right now. And according to Gaza's health ministry, at least 1,537 Palestinians, including 500 children, and 276 women have been killed, and 6,612 have been wounded in Israelis' airstrikes on Gaza since Saturday. It hasn't even been a full week, and over 1,500 Palestinians are killed. I know the big Gaza war in 2014, Palestinian casualties were over just over 2,000, and that was about a month, uh, a little more than a month. So now in less than a week, you know, we're almost there. And I bet these numbers are going to rise, continue to rise overnight and into the morning. 
So on the Israeli side, at least 1,300 people have been killed and 3,200 wounded. Out of that 1,300, I believe only a few hundred were Israeli soldiers. They killed a lot of civilians. I'm not sure of the exact breakdown. Um, And then you also had the Israeli officials say that 1,500 Hamas militants were killed inside southern Israel, but we haven't seen that number confirmed by Hamas or anybody um, in Gaza. So full-throated support from the U.S. uh, as this is all going on. The next one here, 250 killed in Gaza's deadliest morning. So this is from Middle East Eye, and it's just about some of the airstrikes that took place on Thursday morning. Residents of Gaza's third largest refugee camp woke up er in the early hours of Thursday to find death and destruction at their doorstep after Israel carried out its deadliest attack on the besieged enclave in six days. So Israeli airstrikes killed at least 250 people on Thursday morning alone, including 44 members of the same family in Jabalia. They are just wiping out entire families. The Shehab family included 16 children aged between 2 and 14 years old. Um, So that is just one morning in Gaza, and, you know, this was the same day that Blinken was over there pledging all this support for Israel. And Austin is actually going to be in Israel on Friday, probably saying the same thing. Um, All right, so the next one here. Israel says no humanitarian aid into Gaza until captives are released. An Israeli minister said Thursday that Israel would not allow any humanitarian aid into Gaza unless Hamas releases Israelis it has taken into the enclave. So this is Israeli Energy Minister Israel Katz. He said, quote, humanitarian aid to Gaza? No electric switch will be turned on, no water tap will be opened, and no fuel truck will enter until the Israeli abductees are returned home, end quote. So these comments came as human rights groups are pleading to allow aid into Gaza to prevent the enclave's hospitals from turning into morgues amid a relentless, indiscriminate bombing campaign. Gaza's sole power plant has been turned off due to a lack of fuel. So I mentioned there's over 6,000 people have been wounded and their hospitals are getting overwhelmed. They're running out of fuel. They're running out of all sorts of supplies. Um, And there's a quote here from the regional director of the, the Red Cross. He said, Quote, as Gaza loses power, hospitals lose power, putting newborns in incubators and elderly patients on oxygen at risk. Kidney dialysis stops and x-rays can't be taken. Without electricity, hospital, hospitals risk turning into morgues, end quote. So Doctors Without Borders also issued a statement on Thursday calling for humanitarian aid into Gaza. The statement said, quote, millions of men, women, and children are facing a collective punishment in the form of total siege, indiscriminate bombing, and the pending threat of a ground battle. Safe spaces must be established. Humanitarian supplies must be allowed into Gaza, end quote. Um, So they mentioned the pending threat of a ground battle. Uh, If you remember earlier in the week, you had U.S. officials saying on Sunday that they expected Israel to go in within 48 hours. Uh, But the latest I've seen is that Israel... Um, some Israeli military officials said that a decision hasn't been made yet on the invasion. They've mobilized 300,000 
troops. Um, so we'll see uh, what happens in the coming days. But right now it seems like they're focused on really just bombing the place. Um, so on Thursday, Egypt apparently received a shipment of humanitarian aid for Gaza that came from Jordan, but it's not clear if it will be able to make it in. Israeli TV has reported that Israel threatened to bomb aid trucks that enter Gaza from Egypt. So very dire situation that's just going to get worse. And, we'll, you know, we might start getting less, you know, media uh, reports coming out of Gaza and stuff. There's a pretty robust media presence on the ground in Gaza. AP has reporters there, Al Jazeera, Middle East Eye, other outlets. Um, but, you know, with if they all really lose power and fuel, it's going to be really tough uh, for them to be reporting from there. All right, so the next one here, Egypt refuses opening border for Palestinian exodus. This article is from The Cradle. Cairo has refused Western requests to allow for the mass exit of Palestinians fleeing from Israeli airstrikes into the into its Sinai Peninsula. This was reported by Reuters, citing Egyptian sources. So Egypt, um, you know, in their historic mediator between Gaza and Israel, between the warring parties. They uh, are refusing to set up safe passage corridors of travel for Palestinians being massacred by Israeli jets, with officials citing the right of Palestinians to hold on to their cause and their land. So they're framing it in the sense that, you know, the Palestinians don't want to give up their home homeland, which some are saying there's a report from Middle East Eye that we have lower on the on the uh, page that says some fear, you know, a second Nakba here that they are going to be driven out of Gaza and driven out of uh, Palestine for good, um, you know, and people saying they don't want to live in tents in Egypt because if once they get pushed out, where are they really going to go? And Egypt clearly doesn't want them. Um, so again, it's just compounding on the 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 the, the issue here. I mean. You got to figure people with families and young kids what would want to try to get them out, um, but they have nowhere to go. All right. Um, the next one here, uh, we just have the live updates from Middle East Eye still going on the page, and that'll be good to have up over the weekend because um, this thing does not look like it is slowing down anytime soon. There's this one... Uh, Update here, the White House condemns progressives for caring about Palestinians. At least 17 Palestinians killed in the bombing of the Burridge refugee camp, so more airstrikes. And this is right now, it's uh, early morning in Gaza. Um, so the bombardment continues. All right, so the next one here, Israeli airstrikes cripple Syria's two main airports. So on Thursday, Israeli airstrikes hit Syria's two international airports in Damascus and Aleppo, putting them both out of service. This was reported, reported by Syria's state news agency. And the report said, quote, the Israeli enemy carried out an aggression on the two international airports of Damascus and Aleppo, taking them out of service. According to a military source, the source added that shelling the two airports occurred simultaneously this afternoon, causing material damage to the airstrips, which put them out of service, end quote. So the UK-based Syrian Observatory for Human Rights, they also reported simultaneous Israeli airstrikes on these two airports. Uh, so far, no casualties have been reported. 
And so these airstrikes come amid Israel's bombardment of Gaza in the wake of this Hamas attack. And for the casual uh, you know, observer, they would probably assume that these were related to that in some way. And a day earlier, Israel did report shelling from Syria and said that it hit launch sites in the country with artillery. But Israeli airstrikes, if you listen to this show, you know, are very common. Um, and Thursdays, this bombing is not necessarily related to recent escalations. It could be some sort of message. They hit both airports. They frequently bomb Syria's airports, but it's rare that they hit them both at the same time. This is the first time they've done it, as far as I know. But still, this is not really out of the ordinary. This attack, by my count, marks at least the 26th time that Israeli warplanes bombed Syria this year. So, again, you know, they do target the airports. This kind of became a new thing last year, and it's continued this year, them bombing uh, Syria's airports. Okay, so the next one here, the U.S. and Qatar agree to deny Iran access to $6 billion of its own funds. So the U.S. and Qatar have agreed to deny Iran access to $6 billion of its own funds that were recently released as part of a prisoner swap deal with the U.S. So the $6 billion was frozen in South Korea due to U.S. sanctions on Iran that were reimposed after the Trump administration unilaterally withdrew from the Iran nuclear deal, known as the JCPOA, and they pulled out of that in 2018. The U.S. did. So as part of an agreement to secure the release of five Americans, the U.S. agreed to allow the transfer of the $6 billion to Qatar, where U.S. officials said it could only be accessed by Tehran for humanitarian purposes. The U.S. also released five Iranians who were detained over alleged sanctions violations. So the prisoner swap was made in September, but the U.S. decision now saying that they're going to freeze this $6 billion again, that goes back on the deal. The U.S. is going back on its commitment with Iran yet again. And this came after Republicans and even some Democrats claimed that the release of the $6 billion was related to the Hamas attack on southern Israel. But so far, there are no indications that Iran was involved, as U.S. intelligence says Iranian leaders were surprised by the operation, and the Israeli military said there's no evidence of Iranian involvement. I think that's a big indication the U.S. and Israel are not looking to escalate this into a war with Iran right now. There are certainly elements in the U.S. and probably Israel as well that do want that. But according to the New York Times, Deputy Treasury Secretary Wali Adyemo told the House that Iran would no longer have access to the $6 billion. So this report said that it's unclear if they intend to cut off Iran's access to these funds permanently or if it's just a temporary measure. There was a conflicting report from Iran's Noor News. Well, maybe not really conflicting, but they reported on Thursday that Iran still has access to these funds. But it was about the same time that these reports came out. So I would guess if they did make the decision, you know, who knows when it exactly went into effect. But, you know, it it looks like the U.S. has agreed to go back on this deal with Iran. And it really dims hopes um, that this prisoner swap deal, like I was hoping, would I, it would foster more diplomacy between the U.S. and Iran. But now in Iran, the, the opponents of negotiating with the U.S., have another example of the U.S. backing out of a deal 
So it's going to embolden, you know, what they call the Iranian hardliners who don't want negotiations with the U.S., don't want to return to the nuclear deal. Um, You know, they just feed off each other, the hardliners in the U.S. and the hardliners in Iran. Oh, and one thing I wanted to mention, I saw Trita Parsi of the Quincy Institute point this out. Qatar is a big funder of Hamas, um, and there's Hamas people living in Qatar. You know, so the idea that the U.S. and Qatar made this decision over this Hamas attack is just very strange. It doesn't really make much sense. Uh, All right, so the next one here. The majority of Israelis blame the government for the Hamas attack. So a new poll found that the vast majority of Israelis say the Hamas attack on southern Israel was caused by a failure in the government of Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, and a smaller majority want Netanyahu to resign once the conflict is over. So this poll was released by the Dialogue Center, and 86% of the respondents said that the surprise attack from Gaza was a failure of the country's leadership. The poll also found that 56% of respondents want Netanyahu to resign at the end of the conflict, and 52% also want to see the resignation of Defense Minister Yoav Gallant. So if you remember yesterday, I thought I mentioned maybe this thing helped Netanyahu politically, but it looks like I was wrong about that. I mean, based on this poll, these are pretty strong numbers here. Um, So the Hamas attack on October 7th, of course, it raised questions about how Israel could have let it happen and not known about it. And there's that Egyptian warning that they received. So I'm sure that's what a lot of people in Israel are thinking, um, is how could this have happened? And Netanyahu has also come under criticism from for his strategy of propping up Hamas to divide Gaza from Palestinian leadership in the West Bank. He wanted to keep Hamas uh, as the ruling power in Gaza as a way to present to prevent the formation of a Palestinian state to prevent the Palestinians from uniting, really. He knew he could isolate Gaza more if Hamas was in charge there. So this is a quote from uh, something that Netanyahu said at a Likud party meeting in 2019. He said, quote, those who want to thwart the establishment of a Palestinian state should support the strengthening of Hamas and the transfer of money to Hamas. This is just this, this is part of our strategy to differentiate between the Palestinians in Gaza and the Palestinians in Judea and Samaria, referring to the West Bank, end quote. So there you have it. And around that time, you know, I was looking at reports of the money that he might have been talking about, and it was money from Qatar. So again, the idea that Qatar, I, I mean, is freezing this money because Iran might be might have been involved in the Hamas attack. It's just completely ridiculous, and it just shows how they cave to this hysteria that uh, is going on in the U.S. and the media. All right, so the next one here: Ukraine receives 1.15 billion dollars in aid from the U.S. So Ukraine on Wednesday received a $1.15 billion tranche of direct budgetary aid from the U.S. that is dispersed through the World Bank. The budgetary aid the U.S. has been providing Ukraine funds government services and salaries, subsidizes small businesses, pays farmers, and provides other types of economic support. Really propping up the Ukrainian government about as much as the U.S. possibly could be um, doing. So according to Ukraine's finance ministry, the country has received 
$1.9 billion in direct budget support from the U.S. in 2023. Since Russia invaded, that number is $22.9 billion in this budgetary aid, something that I think often gets overlooked. Most people are talking about the military aid and the weapons and stuff. But that's a lot of money, almost $23 billion to fund the Ukrainian government. And, you know, they they say these are grants, which means they're not going to be paid back. Um, So earlier this month, the Wall Street Journal reported that the U.S. was running out of money to fund the Ukrainian government. And it said they had $1.15 billion left for the month of October. So this is it. Ukraine has it. And now until Congress authorizes more Ukraine spending, um, they don't have the money to keep this up. So I don't know where we're at with the whole Congress thing, you know, when it, when something might get passed. Um, I would guess, you know, if they try to do that big package with, with Ukraine, Israel, and Taiwan rolled into one, um, you know, it'll probably pass if it gets brought to a vote, but we'll see it. You know, we'll see what the damage is. Um, all right, so the next one here, U.S. Navy spy plane passes through the Taiwan Strait. So this article is from the South China Morning Post, and it says a U.S. reconnaissance aircraft passed through the Taiwan Strait for the first time in three months on Thursday, a flight the Chinese military said it had watched closely. Army Colonel Shi Yi, a spokesman for China's Eastern Command, announced the passage through the Taiwan Strait by the United States P-8A Poseidon anti-submarine patrol aircraft. They said it was publicly hyped and that the PLA had sent fighter aircraft to monitor its activities. She said, quote, The Eastern Theater Command of the Chinese People's Liberation Army organized fighter planes to monitor the passage of U.S. aircraft and dealt with them in accordance with laws and regulations, end quote. So they said that the troops are on high alert. And earlier, the U.S. Navy's 7th Fleet announced that they flew over the Taiwan Strait. And even though the U.S. sends, you know, Navy ships through the Taiwan Strait once in a while, the uh, sending a plane over it is more rare. Um, so it's just this is just a sign that the U.S. is, you know, still set on, uh, you know, keeping up a military presence over there and, and poking Beijing in the eye because that's what they're doing here. Um, and, you know, I think part of the reason why they're, th- they're talking about adding Taiwan funding to the uh, to the big spending package is that they want to show China, you know, we're, we still have time to ship weapons to Taiwan, even though we're, we're shipping all these weapons to Ukraine and Israel. Um, all right. So the next one here, this one is from Kyle Anzalone at the Libertarian Institute. South Korea considers suspension of deconfliction agreement with North Korea because of the Hamas attack. So kind of a strange connection this South Korea is making here. South Korean Defense Minister Shin Wok-shik is pushing Seoul to abandon a 2018 agreement that reduced the military presence along the demilitarized zone. The military official believes North Korea could use tactics similar to Hamas to attack South Korea. The potential for Seoul to walk away from the deal meant to reduce tensions on the peninsula comes as the chances for a military confrontation between the U.S. and North Korea has skyrocketed under the Biden administration. So Shin, who was appointed as deputy defense, sorry, as defense minister on Saturday, so he's their new defense minister, 
He argued that withdrawing from the agreement was necessary. He said, quote, Hamas has attacked Israel and the Republic of Korea is under a much stronger threat. To counter that, we need to be observing North Korean military movements with our surveillance assets to gain prior knowledge of whether they are preparing provocation or not, end quote. Um, so Kyle also mentions in this article that the U.S., sent a aircraft carrier to the Korean Peninsula in kind of their latest provocation aimed at the north. It's the USS Ronald Reagan aircraft carrier and its strike group going to be conducting big war games there, and it's the first time in about six months that a U.S. aircraft carrier has uh, docked over there. So they still got time for provocations over in East Asia. All right, so the last story here, this is from AP thought it was interesting. It says that the CIA publicly acknowledges the 1953 coup it backed in Iran was undemocratic as it revisits the Argo rescue. So this is kind of, it's just strange because it was, they, they mentioned it on a podcast, on a CIA podcast called The Langley Files. They basically acknowledged that the 1953 coup was undemocratic, which of course we all knew. It's just interesting that the CIA said it. And this is such a pivotal pivotal moment, you know, in history when it comes to US-Iran relations. It's still the big thing that you hear the Iranians mention all the time. You know, this was not some small event. To the Americans, it's a small event. A lot of people barely even know about it. But, uh, you know, to, to Iranians, it's it's a big part of their history. Um, All right, that's it for the news for today. Go check out our viewpoints that we have. We have one from Scott Horton that you have to go read, uh, a rare piece from him. It is titled, It's All About Provoking Your Reaction, and it's his take on the whole Hamas-Israel-Gaza situation. So definitely go read that. One from Ted Galen Carpenter, Hawks are using Gaza violence as a pretext for war with Iran. One from Philip Weiss, mainstream broadcasters include the Palestinian perspective at last. One from Connor Eccles, will U.S. troops be drawn into the Israel-Gaza war? And then our spotlight is from Omar Graleb. Uh, As darkness descends on Gaza, I yearn for the world to see us too. And he's a a writer based in Gaza. And that's actually an article. He wrote an op-ed for CNN, uh, which is interesting. So I think... As time goes on, it seems like the coverage, mainstream media coverage, is getting slightly better on this issue, but it's still uh, still pretty horrendous. Uh, but that's everything for me for today. That's it for the week. It's been a long week. It's been a pretty awful week uh, for the world. Um, hopefully, I didn't miss too much. I tried to keep up with all the other news when I was still following the Israel-Gaza stuff. And uh, I know this weekend, you know, there, we'll probably put some updates on the page and stuff for, for big stories, and we'll leave up the live updates from Middle East Eye, which is a pretty good resource. And then I, I start work again on Sunday, and then I record Sunday night for the show on Monday. So, you know, if you follow me on Twitter or anything, you might see, see me post some stuff this weekend, but we'll see. I mean, I'm hoping and praying that there's some sort of de-escalation is going to happen here, but it just I just don't see it. Um, well, we'll see how it plays out. Uh, Anyway, I hope everybody has a good weekend. I'll talk to you in a few days. Thanks for listening.